that was that was a real privilege to hear you all sing so loud. Um, I, as I was sitting there, I uh, my heart started breaking for the church around the world, and we are commonly celebrating this. Can we take a moment and pray? Father, thank you that we can, as one church around the world, whether we're meeting in China or North Korea or India or Africa or Wisconsin or California, that today we celebrate your son. We pray for those who did not wake up this morning feeling safe. We pray for those who did not wake up this morning with a wonderful church to come meet in, who are meeting under the cover of... uh, persecution. Thank you for this place. Thank you that you've given us these things, and thank you for your son. Amen. Give me one moment. (laughs) Well, I'd like to take a moment and applaud you for showing up. This morning, I hope you had a wonderful morning celebrating. Uh, experiencing Christmas through the eyes of a three-year-old is, is interesting. Um, it's entertaining, it's magical, it's wonderful, but, um, you know, she liked the $2.50 wand more than the scooter that we had dreamed about giving her, you know. And she, you know, and it was wonderful. And I know that there are kids here, so there's some crafts over here, but if you need to get up or if there's yelling or if there's crying, that's okay. Maybe my kids are the only ones that are going to do that, but... Um, That's okay. We'll we'll push on through, and we won't spend long. But our text this morning is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And in it, Matthew records the visit of the wise men, or actually, as Matthew calls them, the the Magi. It's a familiar passage to many of us, I'm sure. And this morning, I'd like to spend a few moments, just a few moments, because I know that we all have plans, reflecting on the cast of characters in this particular passage. Because I believe that it was Matthew's intention to include this story to compare the different reactions to Jesus. That's why he included the story. And I believe that we can see ourselves, if we were to be honest, we can see ourselves in all three of these characters. So I want you to focus on that. What do you see yourself in all, what, what do you see about yourself in all three of these characters. Well, what are the characters? Well, we, as was read by Bob, we have Herod, we have the Magi, and we have the high priests and scribes, and finally we have Jesus. Herod the Great. Who was Herod the Great? Why was it so important that Matthew would include him out of all the things he could have included in his passage, in his gospel? Herod ruled Jerusalem for roughly 33 years, but he was not a Jew. He was the king of the Jews, and yet he was not a Jew. And at the time of Jesus' birth, Jerusalem was under Roman rule. And like many other distant territories, it was ruled by wealthy politicians put in place, that was Herod, to maintain order and raise wealth for the Roman Empire. If things went well, meaning if the people did not revolt, then Herod could expect the praise and support of Rome. And so his reign was actually marked by extreme cruelty. Uh, He had an iron fist on the Jews. Along with that, 
he also added huge advancements to their culture, including education. Uh, a number of uh, universities were formed. Uh, he, he did a number of building projects. And economic trade was booming. So while he controlled the Jews with the tight iron fist, he was also a benevolent dictator in a sense. He allowed the Jews to worship whomever they wanted. In fact, um, he also... Uh, 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 well, they're out of... They're out of order here. <laughs> Thanks. He allowed them to worship whomever they pleased, even going so far as to actually restore the temple in Jerusalem to a, to a beautiful state. Uh, however, he also financed temples uh, to various other gods as well. So this is who Herod was. Um, and he was ruthless. And let me just explain to you how he was ruthless. First of all, he killed his own family in order to maintain control. If he had any suspicion, um, he would take them out. He even killed his own wife at one point. When he felt like uh, they presented a challenge to, a power, to his power, he would just simply have them executed. Now, he lived lavishly with multiple palaces. Uh, he had underground pools, uh, uh, modern technology at that time, private libraries. Um, all these were finances, financed by the taxes coming in and out of the ports that he built. So he was very wealthy. Uh, his tomb and other personal treasures were actually found as recently as 2007. So we know a lot more about Herod today. He had extreme power. He was extremely wealthy. He was generous with the Jews as long as they gave him no trouble. And Herod was about one thing. This is what Herod was about. Herod was about keeping himself in power and in control by might and force and wealth and manipulation. That was who Herod was. Keeping himself in control and power by any means he could have. Now, who are the Magi? Uh, where did they come from? What were they looking for? This story is only recorded in Matthew. Why is it not recorded in other Gospels? Well, we actually get our word magic from the word Magi, as well as magisterium, uh, from the same word that Matthew uses to describe these travelers. What scholars think was that they were from modern-day Iran, and they were the educated elite. That's who they were, the Magi. They were experts in astronomy, medical practices, philosophy, and math. They probably practiced some form of Zoroastrianism, which was an ancient Babylonian religion that studied and worshipped stars. Scholars think that they may have interacted with the Jews left over in Babylon from the dispersion. Remember the Jews? Uh, Daniel was one of these Jews that sort of worked himself up to the highest courts in Babylon. These uh, magi had probably had a long history of interacting with the Jews that were left in uh, Babylon. And there's reason to believe uh, that they had heard of prophecies. It's reasonable to believe that, that they had heard of prophecies like that of Balaam in the book of Numbers. Chapter 24:17, which reads, A star shall come out of Jacob. This is perhaps why they were looking for a star. A star shall come out of Jacob, or Israel, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So again, they had interacted with Jews. They knew some of the scriptures in the Old Testament. And so they were probably uh, uh, coming to see what this star represented, who this star was. Now they were probably accompanied, and we don't know this in the text, but most likely scholars think, that they were accompanied by a rather large military force. And they had goods to trade. 
Now, we just sang a song, We Three Kings, right? But uh, it's a good song. I love that song. Um, so I, <laughs> it's a good song, Addy. Um, however, the Bible does not necessarily say that there were three kings. It doesn't say how many magi there were. And, and just because they presented Jesus with three gifts, that does not mean that there were only three magi. In fact, they, they might have gotten more gifts. But those gifts are important, so we'll take a look at that. There could have been three or 30 or 300 for, for all we know. And they had probably traveled, listen to this, they had probably traveled at least 800 miles from the Babylonian region to search for this king they believed that was associated with the star. 800 miles in ancient forms of traveling. You can imagine what kind of journey that would have been with a big military force. In fact, all of Jerusalem, that text says all of Jerusalem knows that they showed up, right? Uh, You can also imagine Herod's surprise and perhaps his rage when they asked him, if you have a Bible in front of you, it's chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. They asked Herod this, where is he, remember Herod, who's sitting on the throne, where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews. You don't ask that unless you have a military force with you. Uh, You can imagine Herod, someone who's thirsty for wealth and power, being intimidated by this great uh, team of people that have come from the east. They probably have a lot of wealth. They definitely have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And secondly, you can imagine Herod being terrified by the prospect of a prophetic ruler. You see, Herod was a puppet ruler in a vast sea of Jews who could revolt at any moment. And he finds out that a baby who has been born, that extremely wealthy men have traveled hundreds of miles to come and meet, has been born, and he's supposed to know about it. The question gives us insight into what drove these men 800 miles from their home. They were seeking something. These magi, they were seeking something. They were seeking someone, someone greater than themselves. And they they tell us what they were trying to do. They were seeking him in order to worship him. Again, these men had interacted maybe with Jews, had interacted with this idea of Yahweh, but they were seeking, they were yearning after someone greater than themselves. Think about that for a moment. These men had everything. They had everything. They were educated. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They were probably from family, families with really solid reputations to uphold. Yet, at an extreme personal expense and risk of hardship, they were seeking after someone greater than themselves to worship. You see, you see Matthew juxtaposes Herod, someone who fought relentlessly to keep others down so he could remain in control, with the Magi, these pagan men of great wealth who had humbled themselves in order to lift up him who could not be controlled. What a contrast. Perhaps you see a part of you in them. You're seeking something greater. You have a lot, and yet it's not satisfying. And then there's the chief priests and the scribes, right? As the text goes, Herod goes, okay, it's time to get all the theologians together, because that's always a good idea. And we're going to get them together, and we're going we're to see what they say. And Herod uh, encounters the Magi, 
He was troubled and with reason. These magi were serious. They were committed. And they undermined his authority by asking him where the real king was. So he summoned everybody together. And basically, the Jews who should have known who, uh, who should have known what these magi were talking about, ironically, actually, they, they knew exactly what the magi were talking about and where to find him, right? They knew, what he, they knew what they were talking about, and yet they didn't know in a sense. And so they quote the prophet Micah, and they tell Herod that uh, the magi uh, were looking for a child in the town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a town about six miles south of Jerusalem, not far. Six miles. You, we, we can, most of us can walk six miles in one day. Maybe one morning. And this was supposed to be the birthplace of the Messiah. Now, now you would think that the Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders and scholars and chief priests and scribes, the, one who, the ones who were supposed to be uh, shepherding God's people, the ones that studied Scripture day and night, uh, would be eager to accompany the Magi, right? You would think so down to Bethlehem, and they would want to go. The Messiah could have arrived. But given their behavior here and throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew, one has to wonder if their true desire was to seek and worship the one true God, or if it was to keep Herod happy and pacified. After all, he was the one who funded their temple and kept them in relative religious power over the Jews. At the very least, we can deduct this, that they did not take God's word and his promises seriously. Oh, yes, they believed in Yahweh. They showed up to church every single Saturday, synagogue. They knew the scriptures backwards, and they knew them forwards. And yet, they did not take God's word or his promises seriously. And before we judge them, we should ask ourselves, if we take God's word and his promises seriously, Have we mastered the word and yet not let it master us? Jesus and Mary. Jesus is living with his family in Bethlehem. He's probably two years old. Yes, he's not a baby. The nativity scenes that you guys have around your houses are wrong. That's okay. They're still good, but they're wrong. Um, they, had, uh, they had traveled about 800 uh, miles after this star appeared, right? And so uh, you can imagine in the ancient world, that would have taken some time. So most scholars think that Jesus at the time where they found him, uh, at the time when they found him was roughly around two years old. We know that Joseph was a carpenter, and so perhaps he had found some work in Bethlehem after Jesus was born, and they had gotten a house at that point, and um, they were living there. So again, we have the characters. We have Herod, we have the chief priests and the scribes, we have the Magi, and finally Jesus Mary. Now, as Matthew records, Herod gets a little nervous. He knew that he was a fake king and he did not really deserve the throne. And therefore, he had to act ruthlessly to protect his status. In secret, this is what he does. He tells the Magi in secret that he wants to worship the king as well. And therefore, they are to report back to him what they find. You see, Herod's intention, we know, was to destroy this child. And that's revealed in the following verses. And I think this is a picture of those who wish to be king of their own lives. You see, the Magi and the entourage, all of them, travel 
It's six miles down to Bethlehem. Herod doesn't go, and the scribes and Pharisees don't go. And it appears that the star they had originally seen in the east reappears and leads them to the house in the home of Mary and Jesus. And when the Magi find Jesus, they fall down and they worship him. That, that phrase is used ten times throughout Matthew. They fall down and they fell down and worship him. And this is the first time it's used. Not by Jews, but by pagans. What a sight that must have been for Mary and Joseph. A whole entourage of important, wealthy foreigners showing up at their front door. Could you imagine? And they fall down in front of a toddler and they worship him. A totally common, uneducated peasant boy and his simple young mother. You see, they had found the one worthy of all their efforts who made all their education and wealth and status pale in comparison to simply being in his presence. And they did what those who humble themselves in the sight of God always do in the scripture. They fell down and they worshipped him. They also gave him gifts, perhaps many gifts, but we know they gave him three gifts. And as you can imagine, to a poor carpenter family, this must have been amazing, right? Mary and Joseph received gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a gift for a king and probably would have helped them finance their trip to journey, to their future journey to Egypt. Frankincense, what's that all about? Well, it's a sort of an aromatic perfume that was used by priests as incense during worship ceremonies at the temple. Gold for a king, frankincense in a sense for a priest. And then the final gift is myrrh. Myrrh, what's that about? It's an, it's an odd gift. Myrrh is a sap used as incense and was often used as part of the burial, burial ceremony. And they, when somebody would pass away, they would use uh, myrrh to sort of embalm the body. Uh, it's kind of an odd gift you give a two-year-old. This would be like showing up to a two-year-old's birthday party today and bringing his tombstone. You know, Like, well, that's dark. You know? Well, why did they give these gifts? Why did Matthew think it was so important to list these particular gifts? Who knows if they received more? Well, it's clear that he wanted to show that these magi understood and believed God's word. That this child was, first of all, the true king of Israel. And if they had been exposed to other Old Testament prophecies, it's reasonable to believe that they also understood this child to be the faithful priest of his people. The one who would bring his people before God, bring us before God, faithfully interceding for us. But they also understood, if we understand this correctly, and I believe it's, uh, this is what Matthew is driving us to, we also know that they saw him as the prophet who, like many of the prophets in the Old Testament, would be killed one day. And they understood that. And the gifts display that understanding. You see, the wise men... Uh, then disobeyed Herod, and they displayed obedience to this child. They did not return to Herod. Instead, in a dream, they were told to, uh, to, to not go back the way they had come. And at great cost, at great cost, and money, and time, and effort, they returned home by a different road. Scholars think their route would have taken them over to the Mediterranean coast and up current-day Syria and back to Babylon. Their obedience was costly. 
So what can we take away from this story this morning? First, let me summarize the characters. Remember, we have Herod, who wanted nothing more to expand his own kingdom. He did this by deception, murder, force. He worshipped what he could attain, and his identity was completely structured around glorifying himself. Secondly, we have the church leaders who do not take God's word seriously. Uh, These theologians and experts in the Bible were supposed to be beacons, shining lights on God's word and pointing the people to the coming Messiah. Yet, when he came, they dismissed the evidence and refused to be instructed or bothered by these pagans who were seeking God. They were the ones who had the most trouble with Jesus in his ministry. They knew God's word, but they tried to adapt it to their own expectations rather than being transformed by its fulfillment. They knew God's word, but they tried to make it work in their own life for themselves. Finally, there is the Magi who were seeking the king. They trusted in God's word and they found when they found Jesus, they humbled themselves in front of this little toddler and worshipped him for who he was. Not for what they can get from him. Could you imagine these important men trying to talk to a toddler? You're not going to get much, right? And yet, it wasn't about that. It was about who he was. I think Matthew's intention in writing this again was to compare different responses to the true king of Israel. If we were to be honest, I think we can identify with each of these characters. At different points in our life, perhaps, maybe even this morning, you can identify strongly with one of these characters. I think for many of us, myself included, at times we've been building our own empire, prideful and caught up with trying to protect our little kingdom and our little world. And other times we've been, I'm sure we've been self-righteous, which stems from ignoring God's word and seeking comfort in religious activities rather than pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Again, some of us like to master God's Word or believe we've mastered God's Word and yet not let our hearts be mastered by God's Word. And I'm sure there are times that we are seeking after God, genuinely, perhaps this morning, and worshiping Him. Wherever you find yourself on this spectrum of seeking Jesus, maybe you're completely disinterested, maybe you are but you've been so caught up in your own righteousness and your own religious activities that you forgot about worshiping Jesus for who He is and not what He can do for you. And maybe you're seeking Him because you have found nothing satisfies you. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, there's good news for you this morning. And here's the Gospel. Jesus did not wait for you to seek Him. He came to seek you. And one day, God's Son, Jesus, would stand before Herod, this same Herod. He would stand before Herod's son, also named Herod. And he would stand before these chief priests and these scribes, some of the same ones. And he would stand before his disciples, those who sought after Jesus and those who followed him. Herod would mock him and turn him over to Pilate. The chief priests would condemn him and ask for his crucifixion, and his disciples, the ones seeking after him, would abandon him. Yet, he acted as our king, 
winning the battle of our sin. He acted as our priest, offering his life as sacrifice for our sins. And he acted as our prophet, giving us God's word and his spirit. And he did this for the Herods and the chief priests and the Magi and for you and for me. Regardless of which character most represents you, in Christmas we find God seeking us, displaying grace toward those whom ignore Him, to those who seek after their own glory, and also to those who humbly bow before Him and say, I have nothing left. Will you bow down this morning, this Christmas morning, in humility and worship Him? Amen.